This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. Please try and understand. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. Castle Dracula is someone here in Klausenburg. Will you tell me how I get there? You ordered a meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. Welcome to Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Ro Lauren. And we are going to be your podcast through this journey through the Hammer House of Horror catalog of films. Hammer Horror was a studio that was founded back in the 1930s, but made their big uh, breakthrough in the film industry in the 50s, 60s, and 70s with films based on classic gothic literature stories, as well as many other tales of the macabre horror and terror. I've been a longtime horror host and radio disc jockey on WCUW for the last 12 years, as well as a writer in the horror industry. I am a graphic designer, as well as a classic and old school movie fan. And um, when I'm not here, I'm playing video games or working online. (laughs) And I'm editing other podcasts. You might know me from the Dr. Chris Radio Horror Show, as well as the Dead TV podcast, where we talk about classic canceled television shows episode at a time, as well as Goth Girl Horror, where we break down Tim Seeley's comic book hack slash one issue at a time. 
I'm also heavily involved in Vampires as the uh, audio narrator for an upcoming horror vampire series in England, as well as the Dracula gender swap comic book, where we take the I take the entire cast of Dracula and I gender swap the cast from male to female. Hammer was a big influence for this comic book series, as well as uh, Castlevania. And what's funny is Hammer is also tied to Castlevania, and we'll get to more into that as we get through the film itself. How each episode of the podcast will work is that we will have an opening theme music, which will be from the film itself. And the episode today will be Horror of Dracula. Now, I realize that Horror of Dracula was not the kickoff for Hammer's horror kind of evolution. A lot of more people would refer to Horror of Frankenstein, which actually will be our next episode. But I'm more tuned to Dracula than I am Frankenstein, so I start, thought I would start with this one. The other thing is, is that we won't be covering every single movie in Hammer's catalog. It will just be horror movies. So any science fiction movies, alien movies, rape revenge movies, pirate movies, mystery films, we won't be covering. Unless they have a huge horror element in it, we're probably going to save that for a different podcast. But there's so many horror, horror titles that we will have enough to cover. The <laughs> other thing is not all these films are available on DVD and Blu-ray. Or if they have been available on DVD, they're out of print and very hard to find. Thankfully, film companies like Synapse Films, Scream Factory, Warner Archives have been releasing them, re-releasing them, excuse me, on Blu-ray, so they're a little easier to find. There's a bunch of films coming out, I believe, from Scream Factory this year, including Scars of Dracula, which was out of print for several years after its DVD release from, I believe, Anchor Bay, but I might be wrong. Regardless, we're going to do our best to try and cover these in some kind of order. But we will be jumping around the timeline, so we might go from the 50s to the 60s, I'm sorry, we might go from the 50s to the 70s, but we're going to stay in the classic Hammer horror era, so we won't be covering any of the revival films that came out like The Woman in Black or anything like that, mainly because Hammer's revival didn't last that long, and there's not really a lot of explanation about what the heck happened to it today. So we're going to be staying with the classic Hammer stories First with the Dracula series, then the Frankenstein series, and then several of the other films. Of course, a lot of our episodes will be covering vampires, because Hammer did put out a chock-full of vampire movies uh, through its library. My favorite vampire movie that Hammer put out is Cro Captain Chronos' Vampire Hunter, which even had a comic book revitalization of that title uh, a couple years ago through Titan Comics. What's your favorite Hammer movie, Ro? I actually think... As of right now, I love horror of Dracula. I mean, it's just a classic. And I'm such a big fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, the book, and also the other film. That Even though this really, which we can get into later, isn't really that faithful to as far as adaptions go. It's just anything to do with that. I just love it so much. My second favorite Hammer movie probably is Twins of Evil. The Hammer movie is unique for the fact that the twin sisters in the movie biological twin sisters identical twin sisters were actually the first twins to ever appear in playboy magazine i did not know that that's awesome yeah hugh hefner saw the movie twins of evil and immediately had to have them as the first <laughs> twins to ever appear in his magazine and if you've wow. seen that movie you can understand why <laughs> <laughs> incidentally enough you're going to be hearing two names probably said more often in the hammer film category for actors Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. So this episode will get Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee's IMDb out of the way, and we won't be discussing it any further in further episodes, mainly because most people know uh, who, the, who the two of them are. Peter Cushing was introduced to me, uh, and I probably have to say most people my age, and I don't know about you, Ro, um, as the Grand Moff Tarkin, the commander of oh, the Death Star in Star Wars. 
yeah, that's exactly how I knew him as well. And Christopher Lee, I was introduced to him as the man with the golden gun in the James Bond movie starring Roger Moore. Oh, really? Uh, I, I'm i going to go with um, Star Wars again for Christopher Lee. As uh, Count Dooku, Darth, uh, yeah. Darth Tyrannus? Yeah. Tyrion? Or was it Darth Tyrion? No, I'm thinking of Tyrion Lannister. Who? What was his... Because uh, he had a Darth name, too, didn't he? Other than Dooku? Yeah. Uh, he probably did. Because Count see. Dooku was his title when he was a right. Jedi. Um, and, um, but the, that was really cool to see him in that movie, which is funny because... Yeah, he- I mean, the Star Wars movies were, were heavily influenced by um, Hammer in, in a way that the actors carried over. Like David Prowse, who was in oh, Hammer yeah. movies, was the the actor in the Darth Vader costume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's Darth uh, Tyrannus. Tyrannus? Tyrannus? Yeah. Tyrannus. Yeah. yeah. And then Peter Cushing uh, would be in uh, several other uh, productions throughout his career. Um, did you know that he was uh, the original Doctor Who before there was a Doctor Who television series? I did not know that. Yeah, he was in, um, it was like him and his grandkids would time travel <gasps> and they fought oh, the Daleks. And I think it was called Doctor Who and the Daleks, maybe? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I know I remember reading something about Doctor Who from him, but I did not know that was the, uh, that was what it was about. <laughs> That's so cute. Right. And then, of course, Peter Cushing was recently brought back to life, unfortunately, in Rogue (laughs) One in a way that people were not really happy with because, A, either they felt as though it was a disrespect to the actor, or B, they just didn't think it looked very good, and it kind of looked like a cartoon. It did. It looked – it was definitely an uncanny valley. It was very odd. What's funny is that Peter Cushing's first role, uh, he was just called Second Officer – in the original production of The Man in the Iron Mask, which if you're not aware of what that is, it's actually the sequel to The Three Musketeers. I love The Man in the Iron Mask. You love the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, okay. I don't think I've seen the 39 version. Gotcha, yeah. That, I don't think this was a silent film because I think this was after this. But uh, he was also Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, a miniseries back in the 40s. <laughs> if you can believe that. Wow. Yeah, he has quite the distinguished career with a lot of things beyond Hammer that people are not aware of. But, uh, you know, his big breakthrough in Hammer was playing Victor Frankenstein in The Curse of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. The Abominable Snowman as well. Yeah, he was uh, Sherlock Holmes yes. in The Hounds of Baskervilles. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, he was a fantastic Sherlock Holmes in that. Okay, here it is. Doctor Who and the Daleks. So I was right, but it was 1965, okay. actually. So oh. it was after um, his breakthrough with Hammer. He had just did uh, the Gorgon, actually, which we will get to as well one at some point. Um, okay. And uh, he had just did the Gorgon and the Evil of Dracula. But yeah, he was a Hammer mainstay for a very long time. And so was Christopher Lee, who honestly had a lot of problems with playing Dracula. He did not want to keep coming back to it. But he got paid and he needed work, so he kept coming back to it. Um, and yeah, lost... I remember reading that the uh, the contacts for his close-up scenes really hurt him, and he couldn't see at all. Well, they used glass contacts a lot back then, too. Oh, yeah. Also, at the time that um, Star Wars had come out, uh, he had recently lost his wife, and he was really uh, not doing very well uh, health-wise. Um, this is around the same time that the Vampire Lovers came out, which was oh, okay. part of the... Uh, Carmilla series, I believe. Mm. Um, there was uh, there was Countess Dracula, Twins of Evil, and uh, the Vampire Lovers. 
in it in one form or another, we had a woman-on-woman kind of romance in some way going. But we'll get there when right. we get to those movies. Um, but, <laughs> but Peter Cushing was in two of those three films, so. Yeah, because I think they were – they became friends – uh, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Oh, they were very good friends. They were yeah. very, very, very good friends uh, for a long time. He was also in the New Avengers, not to be confused with Captain America's team, but probably <laughs> the British Avengers. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's always an argument about what you know that the Avengers, the British Avengers, are are you know the the that Stanley and Jack Kirby ripped off the Avengers from the show, and it's like no. They created the Avengers in 1963. The television series started in 1966. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, Peter Cushing unfortunately died in 1994, and we lost Christopher Lee just a few years ago. Yeah. Who was still acting into his 90s, mostly in Tim Burton productions. Yeah, uh, it was. I was so sad when Christopher Lee um, passed away. Oh, man, but he was. He is a he was an awesome and very memorable actor. Just even his even his presence alone, he just commands every area, like every I want to say stage, but um, because I I have theater on my mind, but he commands like the presence of every room, even when he is not doesn't have a speaking line, which happens quite often in horror of Dracula, mainly because he didn't like the dialogue. And a lot of it, and there was at least, I think, one or two other films where he has zero lines whatsoever. And we'll get there because I point out in my notes in this in this movie that all of his dialogue was in the beginning. And that is yeah, it. He, he only ever talks to one person. He never actually talks to um, Lucy or Mina. Correct. Um, and we also, we also um, refer to Christopher Lee just out of respect that his actual title is uh, Sir Christopher Lee. He was knighted. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, and, uh, both, uh, both of these actors are, uh, veterans of the war. Oh yeah. World wow. War, World War Two. We're going to jump right now into our overview of horror of Dracula and our movie opens with Jonathan Harker arriving at Dracula's castle, posing as a librarian. But what Dracula doesn't know is that he's actually sent there by his mentor, Abraham Van Helsing to kill Dracula. After meeting Count Dracula and getting a key to the house, he eventually meets Dracula's vampire bride. Jonathan Harker is played by John Van Eisen. Vampire Woman is played by Valerie Gaunt. After Vampire Woman tries to bite Jonathan, Dracula sees him and bites Jonathan. Jonathan realizes that he is succumbing to Dracula's bite, tries to kill Dracula, but fails. Dr. Van Helsing then then arrives looking for Harker, and the frightened town folk don't give him any help. But a barmaid gives... Van Helsing, Harker's journal, finds his way to Dracula's castle and finds Jonathan Harker in his crypt, and after killing the vampire woman, has to kill Jonathan. He returns home and lies to Jonathan's fiance about what happened to him, as well as Arthur Homewood and Mina Homewood. This is where a lot of the deviates from the novel itself. After Dracula arrives in England and kills Lucy, he sets his sight on Mina. Jonathan Harker and Arthur begin to investigate Count Dracula, and Jonathan's fate is revealed to Arthur. Van Helsing tells him the details about what a vampire is as Dracula slowly starts to try and turn Mina into one of his brides. After discovering that Dracula's coffin is in the basement of the, of the Homewood home, Arthur and Van Helsing travel to Dracula's castle to put an end to Count Dracula and save Mina. After a fierce battle, Van Helsing is able to defeat Dracula 
and using a cross in sunlight is able to stop Dracula, killing him, crumbling him to dust. And the last shot we see is of Dracula's ring as credits roll. So okay. our movie opens up at Dracula's castle with a shot of what looks like an eagle gargoyle, which is rather unusual because the eagle, I've never associated it with Count Dracula. I usually associate the eagle with like the United States of America as it's our bird or maybe the symbol of the Roman Empire. Yeah, I also thought that was strange because it holds on that shot for quite a while through most of the opening credits. Um, I was just not, I was not sure what exactly it was. And I was trying to find out um, from like Wikipedia or something if I could get a grasp on what exactly they wanted to get with that. But I also thought that was an interesting choice. <laughs> um... But the locations kind of throughout this entire movie were a little interesting to me so i think it kind of ended up um going through the whole very weird um like setting to me so we open up with the diary of jonathan harker now if you've ever read the novel of dracula the novel itself is actually written in diaries and uh, letters and so forth it's not one continuous like story like most books are it's the right. journal of Jonathan Harker. It's the diary of Mina Murray. It's the it's the ledgers of Van Helsing. The three primary people speaking through most of it are Van Helsing, Mina, and Jonathan. I mean the whole, the book is entirely the letters, and uh, I I feel like oh no I don't think Dracula actually has a letter in that one. I think it's just through um, through what Harker gets from him because he does write to Harker when he's first there. Uh, which is something I had noticed is that he always signs his letters just D. So I thought it was interesting that he signed that first letter, Dracula. The actor who plays Jonathan Harker, as I said, is played by John Van Eysen, who I might be mispronouncing that name. But uh, he was a character actor through several productions. He was in The Three Musketeers. Uh, he was also in... He was also in The Accountant, A Story of David, uh, Men of Sherwood Forest, which was one of the many Robin Hood movies that was made. Um, and The Vampire Girl, played by Valerie Gaunt, who is not very gaunt whatsoever in this movie. Um, <laughs> no. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot of anything. She was in um, The Curse of Frankenstein and uh, Horror of Dracula, and that is about it. Wow. Yeah. She only has two really appearances um, in the Hammer studio of uh, films. She was in a couple of television shows, but didn't really act a whole, a whole heck of a lot other than the two primary horror uh, staples that uh, Hammer made. If she did anything else, it's not listed on IMDb. Um, she was born in 1932 and died in 2016. And John uh, was born in 1922. Uh, and died in 1995. Now, um, as the title of the podcast is Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, right at the very beginning, we get our first shot of boobs. So oh, yeah. throughout the podcast, uh, we will make sure we check off the three primary things of the title of the podcast. Boobs, Blood, and Badasses. In the first 15 <laughs> minutes of the movie, we get all three. We get badasses oh, yeah. and Dracula, we get boobs and our vampire woman, and we get a lot of blood. Now, the reason why they did this is because Hammer, when they were founded, want, wanted to start like getting into movies that Universal wasn't quite doing. They wanted to make edgier movies. 
And it really didn't start happening until films went to color, and they really uh, pushed the boundaries of what they could do. In fact, Hammer was one of the first studios to really give us blood on screen or any kind of sexualized female um, heroines or, or villains. It, that wasn't really a big thing. Whoops. That wasn't really a big thing prior to that, other than like girls in bathing suits, you know, and mm-hmm. beach party summer movies and, and things like that. Yeah, there were female heroines in nice dresses and there were sexy females, but Hammer really pushed the envelope with what you could do with um, the type of uh, provocative nature they would have these women do. And that's what Hammer's big, uh, one of their biggest staples was their very voluptuous looking women. Yeah, and I actually noticed that one of the first shots of her is, I believe it was like a pan-up. So you see, or she comes in from the side, and it's a it's a pan-up from her legs up to her face. And so you get that nice, um, that nice just shot of just how voluptuous she is um, right at the beginning. I mean, they do not shy away from it at all, which I thought was pretty awesome. And I mean, the opening scene right after the credits, you get all that that bright red hammer blood on Dracula's tomb. So you're which, right there. You get right into it. Which um, would be a staple all the way through the entire series of Hammer movies. And oh, yeah. If anyone has seen any gratuitous amounts of blood, this is very cartoony. But they did that because they wanted these movies to be bright and colorful. Just look at it. Castle Dracula. Compared to Bela Lugosi's castle in the Universal <laughs> films, his castle was filled with cobwebs and it was dark and dreary, but still very gothic and mysterious. This is very different. The outside looks very unkept, but the inside, it looks like Dracula's got workers working around the clock. We never oh, see yeah. them. Maybe he's got his vampire woman doing it. That's why she's in as good a shape as she's in, because she's the <laughs> one constantly keeping everything up cap. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But you can definitely see how the vampire movies of – sorry, any of the movies of the Hammer filmography are colorful, very well, colorful movies. Oh, yeah. Color, I felt, played a huge role in – well, I mean, definitely in all of them, but especially in this one, because when it's – when you were at Dracula's Castle – it is all like warm grays, some cool grays, um, golds, reds. It's all kind of those those colors, and it's very contrasting. So you get the bright golds, the, the the dark grays, and some of the shadows. But then when you go back to like Mina and Arthur, for instance, they're like browns and blues and greens. Like there's a lot of really the the color choices really make a difference. It's so so nice to see um and like very really puts it apart like you really set it really sets the stage of the difference in feeling between how dracula lives and how they live now all of count dracula christopher lee's uh dialogue is right here in the beginning when he talks to jonathan harker and no time does he get any other dialogue and again that was mainly due to the fact that lee didn't like the dialogue in a lot of these movies um, in fact, that was one of the, he, he was not, he, he was so against it. He refused to read the dialogue, but because he was such a powerful actor and they didn't want to lose him, they went with it and they just did what he wanted to do. Also, who's going to argue with a man who is almost seven feet tall, I believe. I mean, how, how tall was Christopher Lee? Uh, he's, I think he's like six eleven. Oh no, he's six. Christopher Lee is six five. Okay. Um, yeah, there is like and, th- he he held the Guinness Book of World Records. Someone told me for a long time as like one of the tallest actors in Hollywood. 
Um, oh, absolutely. Eventually, think... that was suppressed by, um, uh, like, uh, oh, yeah, so he's six foot five. Vince Vaughn is also extremely tall. Um, and is, as is a uh, late night television talk show host, uh, Conan O'Brien. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? I feel like Liam Neeson's also pretty tall. I believe um, so. I believe for an so. actor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know exactly like how tall maybe like Andre the Giant was. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I understand that the actor who played the Predator in the Predator movie and as well as the actor who played the alien were very mm-hmm. tall as well. Mm-hmm. But they unfortunately also both passed away. Um, but uh, going back into the plot line, when Dracula sees the picture of Arthur's fiance. That is the first indication there is something different about the movie because in the novel, Jonathan Harker shows up at Dracula's keep. So he's a librarian this time, not an accountant. It's not yeah. a real estate. By the way, Dracula has no plot line in this movie whatsoever. In <laughs> no. the original novel and all the subsequent movies, it's like a Lex Luthor real estate thing going on. He wants Carfax Abbey. He wants to move to England yeah. and he wants to get into the real, you know, the new world. Because he's been living in his castle for so long. Um, why didn't he ever send his brides to go snatch up some kids from the village to drain them in order to get his youth back? I never understood that, but I'm not going to... We are not going to break down the, the Dracula novel itself. We could spend okay. the entire podcast trying to do that. What we will do when it comes to stuff based on actual literature that we're familiar with, we will do compare and contrastions. Now, this is where the contract takes place. Lucy mm-hmm. Harker is the... Or sorry, Lucy Holmwood is the fiance of Jonathan Harker. So yes, right there, which is massive very difference. Weird. Yes. <laughs> now, in other Dracula productions, like Dracula starring uh, Franklin Jella or Dracula starring uh, J- Jack Palace, they also have had changes or merged characters together. Um, right. There's, um, yeah, because there's no Quincy, there's no Renfield. Nope. No. Nope, <laughs> no. There's a there's a Jack Stewart. Who is the who's shown up twice in this movie is just a doctor, but he is not the pupil of Van Helsing. Jonathan Harker is the pupil of Van Helsing. He's right. actually been trained in the art of vampire hunting, apparently, um, because Van Helsing has always been into the occult. You know, he's a he's a world renowned uh, medical profession, but obviously knows that vampires exist and has probably run into them. The Van yes, Helsing character... he also gets credited as like a philosopher as well. Um... Yeah. Um... I think out of all of the Van Helsing performances, not counting um, the amazing, incredible Wolverine Hugh Jackman in that movie, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, if you've ever seen Van Helsing, it's like the greatest Castlevania movie never made. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that, actually. <laughs> what was I saying? Okay, so the other differences are, and we're going to go through these right now so we don't have to go through them every time it happens in the movie. So Arthur okay. Holmwood, who eventually shows up, played by Michael Goh, who goth, Golf, who you I, most people modern day know as Alfred Pennyworth, the butler of Batman in Tim Burton's Batman, as well as the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, um, is Arthur Holmwood and engaged or sorry, married to Mina, who is actually Jonathan's fiance and then wife in the books. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ever read, have you read Dracula the Undead? I have not read that. Okay, that is by Dekar Stoker, who is the great grandnephew of Bram Stoker. And oh, in wow. that, that is the continuation, the official Stoker sequel to uh, Bram Stoker's novel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, 
so Mina shows up in that as well. So does Jonathan Harker, and so does their son, Quincy Harker. Uh, Quincy Harker is a character that was also in the uh, Marvel comic book series, which called Tomb of Dracula. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I know there was a comic book series based off of Horror Dracula, but I don't. I am not familiar with either of them. Tomb of Dracula took a lot of inspiration from the Hammer Horror series. However, they mainly took their look of Dracula from the Jack Palace version of Dracula. Oh, um, okay. Dracula has changed a couple of times, kind of gone back to that Jack Palace look, but more mm-hmm. recently has like a long-haired white ponytail, red armor kind of look to him. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, he recently showed up in the Avengers. He is a decrepit, dying old man who's um, teamed up with the Russians to for plots that have not yet been um, revealed to us yet. But that uh, plot also has allowed... Um, the, the Avengers to realize they don't have a vampire expert on their team, so they of course recruit Blade to join the Avengers. So, and I bring this up also yeah. because Marvel just made a huge announcement that we are getting a Blade series from Disney. Yes. So, let's see if Dracula shows up in that. But I digress. Yeah. Completely different series <laughs> altogether. What other changes from the book do we have besides Dracula does not need blood to go from being an old man to a young man, nor does he turn into a mat mist vampire bat creature or a wolf he just disappears right. and reappears and we're supposed to assume off camera maybe he's some supernatural creature right and um i assumed that was due to budget, budget. Um, or technology <laughs> but uh van helsing in this movie does say it's a fallacy of um, vampires being able to turn into creatures so i'm not really i i'm kind of half and half on that but um they also uh, that I always look forward to to seeing some things because um, this is so so condensed compared to the book. Obviously, um, the parts with Harker in Dracula's castle are super super cut. So like you don't see him uh, really approached by the bride because there's three in the book. Um, you don't see him really see all the weird stuff that Dracula does because he does a lot of weird things like crawl on the walls. <laughs> um, By the way, the in the novel, as far as I'm aware, if I'm wrong, you can correct me in the comment. I do not believe the vampire brides of Dracula have names. I don't think so. In the no, movies, they do. They're other characters who become his brides, like in Dracula 2000. Lucy mm-hmm. is a friend of the Mina character, Mary, I think her name is actually, and she becomes a bride of Dracula, as does um, Jennifer Esposito um, and Seven of Nine. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know Seven of Nine's <laughs> real name, but uh, you know who I'm talking Jerry. about. Yeah. What's yeah, Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan, thank you, who's yeah. going to be on Picard, actually. <laughs> yeah. I was so excited I, when I saw that. I was like, oh, so I, I, I have a really hard time not making things about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the way this movie was shot. I was like, oh, this is like 60s Star Trek. It's like TOS. Oh, okay. And I'm like, no, I got to stop. I got to stop and care anything about Star Trek. <laughs> I think we'll get into Star Trek at some point in this uh, going over these films because I'm sure there's some crossovers, some actors Oh, uh, yeah. We look deep into someone's IMDb. Maybe they appeared as like, you know, some alien on Star Trek or somebody that we weren't aware of. Anyway, like, so when yeah. Van Helsing goes to the uh, the innkeeper, the innkeeper's house, the sorry, not the innkeeper's house, the in the uh, the 
the bar, nobody wants to help him. Like it's like, oh, you speak of Dracula, and yeah, we can, we can't talk about that. And um, it's very. I I, I want to say that they. This is a trope that's used so often in horror movies where the outsider comes to the secluded village and nobody wants to talk to him about the problem of the village because it brings about the curse or something. And I'm right. reminded heavily, because it's vampire-related, of an anime movie called Vampire Hunter D. Oh, my God, I love that movie. And in it, <laughs> you find out that D's father is Count Dracula. Yeah. Which was really the best part of revealing that at the very end. You're like... <gasps> Whoa, oh, because yeah. Count Magnus Lee, the uh, the bad guy, gee, wonder where they got that name from, Count Lee. <laughs> um, he, you know, as he's dying, realize, looks at the portrait of Count Dracula on the wall and looks at Dean. He's just like, tell me, was your father our lord and savior, Count Dracula? <laughs> I was like, yes, that is so cool. Oh, yeah. Um. <sighs> So I love that movie. <laughs> we have uh I'm trying to look up the IMDb right now of who the innkeeper is. Innkeeper! Innkeeper! <laughs> um I, I um I don't remember, but I know that I know the girl's name was like Ingra Ingrid. Uh Inga. Inga, played by Inga. Barbara yeah. Barbara Archer. So Barbara Archer is the innkeeper, the 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 bar wench. Again, a character actor who's appeared in nothing I am overly familiar with. She was in the Adventures. Oh, she was uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, a TV series, um, and that is really it. Her career kind of ends in 1968, but as of yeah. IMDb in 1934, she is supposedly still alive today. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess she was a bit younger than uh, a lot of the other cast, right? Except so for like Tanya, her... who is. Much younger. <laughs> right. So she would still be in her 80s or 90s, possibly today, if I'm doing my math right, which I'm probably not. Um, and she gives him the journal of Jonathan Harker, uh, who was writing everything down because she found it on the road. So did Dracula, like, throw Jonathan's crap out to the road? <laughs> did the wind blow it away? How did she get it? <laughs> yeah, and you would think, because it's, it's that bright red um, journal, right. too. <laughs> and it's got the secrets of uh, Dracula's vampire kind of history in them now when van helsing goes to dracula's castle he's almost run off the road by a coach in the original novel there's a, a big thing with the coach driver being dracula in disguise and even mm-hmm. like nosferatu and bram stoker's dracula i mean there's that god-awful shot in the francis Ford coppola movie where the coach driver reaches over with one hand and picks up um Kiefer, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, uh keanu reeves keanu. yeah or whatever and puts him in the yeah. carriage and i'm like <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he yeah, kills I, I... the busty vampire bride. And after he stabs her with the stake, by the way, you can still see her breathing. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I was pleasantly surprised with every time that they stab someone with a stake. Cause I was expecting them to kind of cut away. Um, and then just maybe show like the blood, but no, they just, they go right for it. <laughs> Now, you when, see the stab. It's awesome. When they kill Lucy later on, spoiler alert, Lucy dies, um, <laughs> as she's destined to in every single version of Dracula. But when Lucy dies, Van Helsing does it with one hand. That's yeah. going to be the most jacked up Van Helsing I've ever seen. To be oh, able yeah. to stab somebody through the chest one handed, <laughs> you have to be strong as fuck. Oh, and her her blood curling scream is excellent. I and the, I was just like, oh, 
Oh, man. Yeah, Alfred is just like, oh, I can't even look. I must brace myself against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> little no, bit I overacting sometimes. Oh, yeah. Now, the actress she who plays... She did a great job. Yeah, now, the actress who plays Lucy... Um, so, by the way, it's not shown on camera, but Jonathan is killed by Van Helsing. It's just, But it cuts yes. away to uh, Lucy, Mina, and uh, Arthur, as Lucy's in bed, sick. Obviously, Dracula has arrived. There's, like, parts of this movie, I think the editing could have used an extra scene, because we're just led to believe, okay, so Dracula's already in England, and Lucy is... I mean, we see Dracula, the coach, carrying a coffin, which is supposed to have Dracula in it. Now, when right. you see that coffin through the entire movie, you're no way you're going to tell me that six foot five Christopher Lee is able to fit coffin. in there. I'm sorry, yeah. but that thing is so narrow at the feet. Oh yeah, um, yeah but it's so pretty. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, so pretty. Um, okay, so the actress who plays Lucy, his name is Carol Marsh, and she was in uh, A Christmas Carol, and she was uh, Alice in Alice in Wonderland, the 1949 version. Oh, oh my God! She does a great job. Which was uh, one of her first? Oh, sorry. Which was, oh wow. Which was one of her first roles. Wow. <laughs> she was also in Tale of Two Cities, The Adventures of Sir Lancelot, which is a TV series, mm-hmm. and BBC Sunday Night Theater, which was like an anthology uh, series on the BBC network. Oh, okay. And she was in a play for Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So she um, has been bitten by Dracula, and Van Helsing shows up with like the news that Jonathan is. No, he doesn't tell anybody what happens to Jonathan. He kind of lies about it, but then has to reveal the truth. But uh, Lucy is just like, "My Jonathan's dead, isn't she? Isn't he?" In this very kind of stoic way, and and the garlic flowers are hung everywhere. The the the. the but she can't breathe because the garlic is so intense, and in doing right. so, the um the uh, the the house nanny. What what is she? Uh. Yeah, Gerda. I think so. Or like, I w- I guess the house nanny or cleaning person. No, no, I guess I probably nanny because she she watches Lucy more. Right. Her name is Gerda, and she is played by Olga Dick uh, Dicky, uh, and she had a great life. She was born in 1900 and died in 1992. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that is quite the that is quite the lifespan there. But not a big IMDb uh, list. Uh, Horror Dracula, and she was also in Kiss of the Vampire um, oh. in 1963. So, in uh, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. So, she was in a couple other uh, Hammer Horror productions uh, through the through the time period. Hmm. Now, the one thing we haven't discussed, of course, is the director of the movie is Terrence Fisher, born in 1904 and died in 1980. And he was a long-time staple of Hammer horror movies. Frankenstein mm-hmm. the Monster from Hell. Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Frankenstein Creates Woman. Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Um, so on and so forth. The, Devil, the, the Curse of the Werewolf. The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. Many, many movies. The Mummy. Uh, the Mummy version of Hammer. Sorry, the Hammer Mummy movie. The House yeah. of the Baskervilles. So he had a long-time relationship with, obviously, a couple of mainstay actors, such as Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. In the Castlevania video game, they actually parody his name as one of the credits um, in when you defeat Dracula at the end of the first game. I did not even know that. Yep. Oh my god. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. So Terrence Fisher is a longtime staple of these Hammer horror movies. Um, really yeah, he great also director. did Curse of Frankenstein, I'm seeing as well. The actress who played Mina 
It is played by Melissa Strip Stribbling 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 Stribbling. <laughs> now, did you notice the difference uh, while I look up her IMDb? Did you notice the difference between Mina and Lucy and the vampire woman? In what way? Like they're they're um how are they dressed? Oh yes. Yeah, I actually I had written down when I first saw the vampire woman, her outfit was quite odd to me. And then it's kind of like a Roman type look and in all white. And then was cleavage. Lucy Yeah. Oh yeah. And then Lucy was like in nightgowns and she was wearing lots of blues. But Mina's outfits were awesome she had this in she had she had lots and lots of outfits like she had some green outfits she had um some blues but then towards the the end that beautiful black dress with like that classic looking like victorian long black dress with the um high up neckline was just beautiful but she had many amazing outfits the word i was really looking for was conservative Oh yeah, absolutely. They were co- Lucy and um, Lucy and Mina were always covered from head to toe. Correct, basically. All the women in the movie were covered in head to toe. Um, the uh, the you know even the bar wench you know is not like yes. overly cleavish, um, and neither is uh, of course the uh, I didn't, I never suspected the nanny to be, but uh, other yeah. th- but the it seems like unless you go evil. You know, evil. You know, uh, cleavage and yeah. boobs, sexuality. Uh, yeah, very played up to be the focus of being evil, and that still exists today. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just um, very a little sad to me because <laughs> there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with some cleavage. <laughs> um, the makeup for this movie I want to point out is by Philip Leakey. And I didn't have a huge problem with the makeup. The one thing that Horror of Dracula is best known for, it is the first vampire movie, other than Nosferatu, to ever use fangs in a movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nosferatu always had his two front buck teeth showing, but that was right, kind of part right. of the character. But all the other vampire movies, the vampires never had fangs. Wow. Which is why you hear a lot of Twilight fans defending Twilight for never using fangs because they will actually reference saying that, well, well, the original vampire movies never had fangs. Right. Right. But the original (laughs) vampire movies didn't like sparkle like little bitches. Right. (laughs) Um, You ain't going to get no love of twilight on this podcast, people. So morning it right now, but uh, (laughs) yeah. So this guy, Philip Leakey did the work for a number of hammer horror movies, revenge of Frankenstein, the abominable snowman, the curse of Frankenstein, X the Unknown, which was like uh, the quarter mass experiment, which was the big horror movie, horror slash sci-fi movie that really broke Hammer out, you know, into the mm-hmm. horror sci-fi genre. Uh, and it is one of those movies that we won't be covering due to the fact that we, we really want to sh- stick strictly to horror movies. And I know the quarter mass experiment does have some horror elements in it, but we're really trying to stick to just the primarily horror movies. And this has always been considered like a sci-fi movie. Right. So, um, but that's debatable. That's arguable. I mean, if you think about it, Frankenstein, a lot of people consider more to be science fiction than horror. Yeah. Yeah. I can see on the border of both. (laughs) But we have so many films to cover too, you know, and maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we'll do it one day, but there's just so many other movies that I want to do. So, and the Frankenstein and the Dracula series are going to keep us busy for several episodes (laughs) of this podcast. Oh Yeah. 
Lucy is killed, and we again, it happens off camera. Dracula doesn't have any lines. Arthur tells, uh, sorry, Van Helsing tells Arthur what happened, and that's where we get the shot of Arthur stab. Uh, sorry, Arthur overacting and Van Helsing stabbing Lucy in the chest. <laughs> Gee, what is that a metaphor for? A man stabbing a woman with a phallic object. Can't, yep. Yep. Oh, I know. Non-consensually, I by the way. I'm just pointing it out there. <laughs> I love that whole scene too because uh, Arthur's just like in the back of the wall, just like cowering. <laughs> Now, there's a scene where Lucy... I'm sorry, I keep getting these names messed up, and it's only because they're so interchangeable. Oh, I know. Nina visits Van Helsing, and there is a giant statue behind Van Helsing in a shot for about a minute. What does that thing look like to you? Exterminate! Exterminate! Oh, yeah. I was thinking it was like some weird, like, uh, exotic, like, Asian thing. But yeah, now that you say that, that's that's definitely... That's that makes sense to me. <laughs> right, right. But here's Don't the thing: make... the doc, the the whole premise of Doctor Who wouldn't even like we're 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 still in the fifties right now. Right, right. Yeah. You uh, <laughs> with with uh, me in my thirties and you in your twenties, uh, we, we we there's nothing we're gonna be able to relate to in the time period of these podcasts. Let's just say. Right. So you're never gonna hear <laughs> Ro and I say. So what were you doing in 1955? Well, my grandfather was probably. <laughs> <laughs> On his way home from the Korean War <laughs> to conceive my mother, who would eventually conceive me. <laughs> but uh, what 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 uh, what else? What I was gonna say. Okay, oh, so the other thing is is they confront they confront before before Lucy dies. They confront her because she has her niece and they, she's gonna go play with her. This reminds me, and I'm I'm really curious if I ever met Joss Whedon, I would or if I ever have a chance to interview her again. The actress mm-hmm. who plays, um, I almost said Cordelia, but um, Drusilla on Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. has that encounter with a little boy on a playground. And she's like, oh. come play with me. And she's oh, like, yeah. my mom told me not to talk to strangers. She goes, oh, I'll be your friend. Yeah. And, then, and then when, uh, she, when he, she turns around with him, Angel's standing right there. And she's like, run, run home yeah. now. And I would just always love that because Drusilla would not hesitate to murder a child. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I actually, I really liked that scene because, um, you know, Lucy tries to murder a child in uh, the book and also the movie of Bram Stoker, uh, the Coppola one. So I thought that was really cool. And um, that I really appreciated that little, that little, that whole little part. (laughs) I put that in my version of the gender swap Dracula gender swap Dracula, whereas Lucy is now named Luke. He kidnaps Ooh. like a little girl and, and it drags her to like a, like a graveyard and Van, the Van Helsing female and the, the Arthur female and the, 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 what the Quincy Morris female character, they mm-hmm. go to stop him because Arthur is engaged to Lucy and she needs to put her fiance down because he is now a vampire. Right. So I, I was so really awesome. making sure I, I put that part in there because I thought it was really important. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I threw in there it... like a line from like Dracula dead and loving it when they stab Lucy <laughs> in that movie. He's just uh, like, he's yes. dead enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, how come he's covered in blood and you are? Well, I've done a lot of stakings. You have to know where to stand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Or like Mina's just like... Like she pushes her breast up against Jonathan oh. or whatever, and she's like, "Oh yeah, 
Mina, I am British. <laughs> She's like, so are these. So are these. Yeah, it's all I could think about. Oh, every time I just think about that. <laughs> okay, so Lucy the vampire, after she gets burned by the cross, which is taken into another movie, uh, Fright Night, uh, the Peter Vincent character burns Evil Eddie on the head with a cross. Very similar oh, yeah. to the way Drac- uh, Van Helsing does to Lucy. Now... Right. This is the dumbest part, I think, of the movie. Lucy then just runs back to her crypt. I know the sun is, I guess, coming up, but she just gets in the coffin and is just, like, completely defenseless. Yeah, she just goes and runs in and lays back down. That's it. You're dead. (laughs) I I thought that was... I just didn't think that was well-written. Every time I've seen that scene, this is the first time I've watched this movie with, like, paying attention to detail. This is where I picked up on the fact that I never realized until watching it last night that Dracula has no dialogue for the rest of the movie. No, he never speaks to anyone but Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Dracula has been in the cellar of the Homewood home this whole time, which is (laughs) a little like, you guys never thought to look in the basement? (laughs) Uh, I I also want to point out, too, because right before that, they go to um, The Undertaker. Uh, and he is such a funny character. The side characters in this movie are really weird. Which uh, oh, watch it, the steps! <laughs> I, I was love like, that oh guy. my god, push him down the steps so he breaks his neck, so we don't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> he was he cracked me up. I'm like, what is this doing? It was so different from the rest of the tone of, especially because we're getting towards the end of the movie, so everything's kind of. You know, the pace is picking up, tension is high, and then you just get to this Undertaker, and he's just this goofy guy. <laughs> the, the one thing I was still trying to figure out was, like, what year do you think this is taking place in? Because Van Helsing uses a recording device. He does. And and he also uses the blood transfuser uh, that's, like, hand pump. So I thought it was, like, the late 1880s, but... Um, that recording device is like not concurrent with um, the the era that it's supposedly taking place in. Very steampunk, maybe in a way. Yeah. The movie came out in 1958, but because I believe that um, also that... a big success too, cost eighty one thousand pounds to make, grossed uh, three hundred uh, th- uh, three five million yeah three million dollars worldwide. Yeah, it's Which pretty is a amazing. huge investment. For 1958, that is a huge investment. Oh, yeah. So $3 million for a movie today would be, like, great for an independent movie that costs oh. 81,000 pounds oh, to make. Yeah, yeah $3.5 million it grossed worldwide. Which inflation is still not a lot, but considering, again, how much it costs to make this movie. The time period that the movie is believed to take place in is the same time period as the novel, which is about 1897. Okay. So we would have had a recording device then because the camera uh, came out around the time of the Civil War. But that begs the question of like when the other films take place because the other films in the Dracula series look like they take place even further in the past. Oh, oh, that's, yeah. Well, yeah, because I thought it was like 1885 Maybe. or like 18s. I, I mean, I think that and they it... probably use that phonograph because it's... It's mentioned in the books, too. I'm pretty sure that Mina, she starts recording on a phonograph later on 
in the books. Now, here's the other thing. In nineteen in nineteen seventy-two, Dracula AD nineteen seventy-two, the prologue to that is a fight between Peter Cushing and Dracula. And then later on in the nineteen seventies when Dracula's resurrected and he confronts Van Helsing's ancestor, also played by Cushing. Huh. The actor from the beginning of the, the the Van Helsing from the beginning of the movie is a descendant of the of the character in the modern day nineteen seventy two. Oh wow! But when that sequence takes place after the events of Scars of Dracula, we'll have to get there because there is continuity with the Dracula movies. The way Dracula dies at the end of one movie is how he mm-hmm. is resurrected in the next movie. So they oh, actually awesome. pay attention to continuity when it comes to Dracula dying and being resurrected. That's Whether or surprising. not there's continuity in when the timeline of when these movies take place is a completely right. separate story. It's kind of like watching that 70s show. And like right. season one, they were they watched the Star Wars movie, which came out in 1977. <laughs> but the, re- yeah. the show ran for like eight or nine seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're telling me the show took place from 1977 to 1979? It's possible, <laughs> but a little unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Van Helsing and Arthur chase Dracula back to his house. He dumps Mina in the ground, starts to bury her, and Arthur is left to dig up Mina. And then Van Helsing confronts Dracula and uses the he like jumps around, grabs the uh, the curtain, exposes him to sunlight. But he gets out of the way. And the way he rolls out of the way of the direct sunlight, he's still affected by it because the room fills with sunlight. But it would have made more sense to me for him to be caught in direct sunlight, and I'm wondering if they just had him roll out of the way because they had to get him ready for the, the prop, the 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 fake body maybe that crumbles in yeah. dust. Um, and then Van Helsing uses the cross with the two candlesticks on Dracula, and all is left is his ring. And then the credits roll. There's yeah. no going back to Mina. We are to assume with Dracula dead, Mina is cured of her vampirism, and her and Arthur live happily ever after. Arthur yeah. and Mina never show up again for the rest of the series. In fact, the only other character from the books that shows up is Van Helsing and maybe like a character here or there that I'm not aware of. But Van Helsing is the only other character to show up. And the sequel to this doesn't even have Dracula in it. It's his brides. Is the next one then Bride of Dracula? Yes. Okay, cool. The films in the series are The Horror of Dracula, The Brides of Dracula, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Scars of Dracula, Dracula 80, 1972, The Satanic Rites of Dracula, and The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which I'm not, I don't own, but I, I, I mean, we could cover, but that is the one that's really kind of like not connected as much as people think it is. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's the really weird one. <laughs> so I remember reading that the actor for Arthur, or no, was it Arthur? Oh, no, it was Harker. Never mind. I was going to say maybe the reason that Arthur and Mina didn't show up was that he didn't enjoy the film or like filming it. But I think that was Harker's actor, actually. So never mind. <laughs> Then the credits roll, and they're kind of short credits. They're not like the long-winded credits like we would have in movies today, which take like two or three minutes to get through. Or four or five, six, seven minutes if it's a Disney movie. Yeah. It's like one person per uh, per thing. Like one or two special effects people, one or two uh, costume people. <laughs> so different than it is now. The DVD for this movie and the subsequent Blu-ray are bare bones with the only thing for bonus material, and I'm using quotations, or it's trailer, mm-hmm. 
And that's really it. I don't know why they call that a special feature, but there is no commentary with Lee. Uh, There is no commentary with any film historian. Um, A lot of the Hammer films don't get a lot of bonus material. Now, Synapse Films and Scream Factory have been releasing the films on Blu-ray with bonus material, and they do that for Prince of Drac- Prince of Darkness, which had a DVD, okay. a Blu-ray release previously, but Scream Factory got the distribution rights for it, and they have released it. Uh, as of right now, the four titles that are coming out from Scream this October, including Scars of Dracula, the bonus material has not been revealed yet. Ooh. But they did just release Frankenstein Creates Woman, which is the second time it's been released on Blu-ray with new bonus material added on to the previous bonus material Blu-ray release. And we'll get oh, okay. to that movie eventually as well. But awesome. the um, Warner Archives is the place right now that you can go and print on demand, get a copy of Horror of Dracula on Blu-ray, but it is bare bones. Yeah, I actually have... Because you watched on DVD, didn't you? I have the original DVD release from the early right. 2000s. Yeah, and I've got the Blu-ray, but it's just a... Um... It's a restoration from the 2007 uh, DVD, okay. so it's not it's not really that much different, um, which means that it doesn't have the extra two like two shots in mm-hmm. there, because um, I think in 2011 there was from like the Institute of Tokyo um, two shots two extra shots were discovered from this movie, but I don't ha- I thought they would be included in the Blu-ray, but that didn't happen until 2011. So I don't have it on this, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's like there's a like an intermediate um, image mm-hmm. of Christopher Lee like uh, turning into dust still, because it's like when we at the end we see him getting hit by the sunlight, and then he's kind of already kind of like a skeletal figure with dust, and as he's like crumpling away. Apparently, there was a version of like kind of an in between where you see his face kind of like starting to crumple away. And for some reason that was cut out. And then I think there was one other extra scene or one other extra like moment of um, Dracula going in to bite Mina from a different angle. That was a little more, I guess like saucy and that was cut out as well. Something else that needs to be talked about is the scene where Dracula throws his woman um, after she tries to bite a uh, Harker, uh, that was really intense for him to just go up and grab her and throw her. Um, and he like tossed her around the room. He threw her and she fell down onto the steps, which is pretty crazy. Um, that I thought was a little shocking to see, to be honest. Um, though, however, the other parts where Dracula's interacting with women is a little bit different tonally. Uh, when he's interacting with Lucy or Mina, it's it's got this kind of juxtaposition where both Lucy and Mina seem to be on the surface level terrified that he is going to be coming into their room or their house and approaching them but then because of the control he has over them there there's also this like sexual tension that's happening and um it's this 
this crazy like especially i think like lucy later like right before she kind of turns she has these facial expressions that her actor gives off that are just so well done where she's both scared and what appears to be somewhat turned on at the same time and then the uh, the scene with mina when he goes and he uh kind of gets really close to her face right before he goes to bite her which we don't ever actually see happen by the way um you know he he picks the women up he grabs them he tosses them like he tosses mina into the the like little dirt hole that he has for her and he just starts throwing dirt on her um it's a little it's it's a little shocking at parts, but this one is not nearly as um, overtly sexual as some of the other ones are. Um, but it's definitely there. The sexual tension is there. And while I feel like I felt like it was, I would welcome Dracula probably because I'm really into that kind of that kind of thing. I think. A, especially for audiences in 58 that was probably really crazy to see i think i remember reading this is one of the first times that um dracula was depicted as you know the women kind of wanting to be bitten by him and they do an amazing job playing that off and i uh it's it's a really interesting mixed bag of emotions the music for this movie was done by James Bernard, who has worked on several horror, uh, Hammer horror movies, including The Curse of Frankenstein, The Quartermass Experiment, Quartermass 2, The Hound of the Baskervilles, The Kiss of the Vampire, The Gorgon, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Frankenstein Creates Woman, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. So you can see the trend where his work is. But his first credit goes all the way back to 1922. What classic silent black and white movie did he compose in 1922? And 22. Wow. Um, I'm not sure what was in 22. Nosferatu. Oh, ha, duh. That's amazing. Now, a few years ago, and by a few years ago, I'm actually thinking probably like two years ago, there was a Hammer documentary that came out that only a thousand copies of the DVD were made on Kickstarter, and it is completely sold out, and I can't even find it on YouTube which is wow. supposed to be an update, a documentary on the Hammer, the studio that dripped blood. Now, I have a documentary on Hammer, and I have a Christopher Lee documentary, but this was supposed to be like a really good definitive documentary that came out with excellent uh, bonus material, and I unfortunately can't believe I missed it. So if you uh. have a copy of it, you'd love to part with it, send it my way. Otherwise, you can't find it, unless I'm wrong and I wasn't able to find it on YouTube. But you type in Hammer Horror on YouTube, you come up with so much material, but I oh, want yeah. this specific documentary. The screenplay was written by Jimmy Sangster, um, with a credit, obviously, to based on the novel by Bram Stoker. He was involved with the horror Frankenstein and several other aforementioned Hammer movies. Uh, one of the most unique things on his IMDb list I love is the fact that he was the writer for three episodes of Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> the Feminine Mystique Part 1 and 2, and Wonder Woman in Hollywood, which is a very fun episode of the 1970s Wonder Woman, if you've, ever had if you've never had a chance to see it. 
I have not seen a lot of it. I've only seen a couple episodes here and there, but I don't remember that one. So I don't think that's one I've seen. <laughs> I am actually right now on the DCU app, uh, rewatching the original Wonder Woman an episode at a time because oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, they put them out in HD and they look beautiful like they are bright the picture quality is amazing everything is really colorful especially obviously wonder woman it, right. it's it's fantastic it was a huge deal at comic-con for the anniversary of the creation of wonder woman and it happened when the um the movie was in theaters that they they announced that wonder woman is coming out in hd that they painstakingly gone back to every episode to um you know co correct it um and the soundtrack was released as well uh for the first time for the television show that's amazing. Yeah. So they gave Wonder Woman a very great, you know, her, her just dues. Because other than like a cartoon movie, there's not really a lot of other productions about Wonder Woman out there. But that's a whole other podcast. There is actually a Wonder Woman podcast out there. <laughs> we just don't happen to have it. That is pretty much all the notes I have here for this episode of the first episode of Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror <laughs> Podcast. As I said, we covered all three of those subjects. Uh, Dracula was our badass. Van Helsing was our badass. Vampire Woman w gave us our boobs. And we had uh, a fair amount of blood for a 1950s horror movie. For sure. But don't forget, you can also check us out on our individual websites, www.radiohorror.com, or at Chris D S A V, or you can find Roe at... Oh, at Roe Lauren with a R-O-L-0-R-E-N. On Twitter, on Instagram, those are my main platforms. And don't forget to check out the rest of the great podcasts and also horrorarticles.com. Thank you, everybody. And, and we'll be back in a few weeks with the Horror of Frankenstein on the next episode of Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast. Thanks, guys. See you next time. The Hammer Horror Podcast is part of the Dorkening Network. Check out the other great shows that we have here on the Dorkening Network. You can find all the various shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on their Facebook, as well as on Twitter.